The first reading is from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, reading verses 6 to 19. If you want to follow it in the Pew Bibles, it is on page 258. This is early in the story. Naomi's husband and both her sons have died. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had had consideration for his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? Holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind could blow on earth or sea or against any tree. I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to damage earth and sea, saying, do not damage the earth or the sea or the trees until we've marked the servants of our God with a seal on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed out of every tribe of the people of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. 
from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 sealed. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Thank you for your welcome. You always know when it's going to be a good day when your glasses break. I dropped them and went to pick them up and kick them and the arm came off and I just thought it can only get better. It can only get better. So that's my prayer for this morning, that even with dodgy glasses, that I literally can't read without, so forgive me, um, that we will have a good day together. So just sort of to start, really, um, Simon gave my, my title, and when you hear it out loud like that, it sounds really long. It's like, what on earth is that? So very briefly, what I do with the Church of England is a new role that I work with dioceses around the country um, and their vocation teams. Each one has their own vocation teams. And those teams are trusted with guiding and resourcing people as they explore their journey toward ordination. Um, my role is to help resource and encourage those teams as they seek to in, seek and encourage people of black, Asian, and minority ethnic heritage who are, being, who are one of those groups that are underrepresented historically within the Church of England as a whole, but particularly um, within, within ordained ministry. So nice, simple, laid-back job. Um, nothing much to do from day to day and no problems, no resistances, no, no, um, uh, I can't even think of the word, but it's a nice chilled job as you could well imagine. Um, but I'm not a theologian, I'm a practitioner, I'm also a practitioner. And that means that on occasion, I also uh, am invited to um, churches and colleges to help navigate between intention and consequences. Intention and consequences. Sometimes through, you know, these things generally um, 
come up because of a lack of understanding or a lack of transparency or a lack of basic common sense and then lathered over with a great dose of ego to boot. No one likes to feel that they are not doing what they think they are doing or that what they might be doing may be seen as them being pinpointed as being wrong. No one likes the feeling of being wrong. Unless I'm, everyone, anyone else here like the feeling of being wrong? No one? Okay, so we're on the same page. Great. We had two readings this morning. And while we reflect, while I go on through what I'm going to bring to you today, I want you to reflect on questions as I raise them. I always think it's important for people to make their own journey in their own time. But to help them do that, I like to ask questions rather than to say, it must be this way. So, I don't know if, you, if it's helpful for you to write, write it down and so forth. I'll say them, I'll flag the questions up as we go along. And hopefully what you'll be able to do is then after today move forward during the week and maybe go back to those questions and reflect on what that means for you as a church and also your own individual walk with the Lord. Does that sound fair? Okay, right, so the first question to do with the Old Testament reading. What is the depth of commitment that you are willing to take in terms of stand and journey with those who are ethnically different from you? What is the depth of the commitment? The depth of the commitment, not the commitment itself, but what's the depth of the commitment you're willing to take? Second question relates to the New Testament reading. How does this vision of heaven, the multitudes of every tribe and every language, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? Revelations can be a reality. And in some places, and I believe here, the journey to making a reality is a real one, and I commend you for it. But before we look at what ethnicity has to do with being an inclusive church, I would like to invite you to a bit of discipline. I would like you to join in the discipline that if you know better, you must do better. If you know better, you do better. 
You cannot unhear truth. You choose to ignore truth. And so if we agree that if we know better, we commit to doing better. And also to reassess what aspects of our thinking will need to be adjusted, eliminated, or expanded. And also, if what we discuss and what we reflect upon today leaves you somewhat irritated, ask yourself why? And how will you allow yourself to move forward from that point of irritation. Ethnicity, we hear the word banded about in our society, I'd like to suggest is not the same as nationality. Ethnicity is inherited and more prominently expressed in physical features such as hair, skin color, eye shape. Whereas nationality is not necessarily an expression of your ethnicity. So, my ethnicity is African-Caribbean with all the mix-up that goes on in there. It's not for nothing that Jamaica's motto is out of many, one people. But my nationality is British, says so on my passport. Well, actually, it says European, but that might not. We won't go into that conversation. Stop. We're stopping. Stopping there. Right. Okay. Um, and we confirm that each, that each of us is an expression of any number of ethnicities. So you'd be fine, you know, well, I have a little bit of this and I'm a little bit of that. With the DNA testing, you can get that down to exact percentages. Um, sounds fun, but if any, if, any, if any of the podcasts I've listened to is anything to go by, proceed with caution. You never know what might, it might reveal. But it sounds fun. But all of them, all of those things make you and me unique multi-ethnic beings which is wondrous on all sorts of levels but not challenging to being an, an inclusive church. The challenge is what we have caught and what we have taught about particular ethnicities and the value based on them, the value placed on those ethnicities. We see through history how this plays out. In church and in society, sometimes separate, but sometimes reinforced by one another. So brief history of the world. Translations of the Bible. There have been parts in the Bible where 
we have seen that when the, where there have, so for example, Song of Songs, where there is a, a, a one aspect of it, this is always very dangerous to pick out one aspect of the Bible, let's go there for a bit, we're brave, um, where the, the, there's a line that says, I am dark but comely, whereas apparently the original text says, and comely, but and and. Who changed that? And why? For what purpose? What value was placed on being dark? The construct of race to justify slavery, placing those with a lighter skin or whiter skin at the top and those with darker skin at the same level as animals to be sold and bought and not considered to be equal as a human being. What values were placed there? Never again versus move on. After the Second World War and the atrocities of, of um, the Jew, the experience of the Jews across Europe was revealed and laid bare to all we the nations were so appalled, they declared, never again. And we hear it over and over, and we've got memorials so that we do not forget. And that's really important. But very often, in conversations around slavery and what happened with people during slavery, and what continues to happen with people across the world, and sometimes in this country, is that the encouragement is to move on. Move on. Black lives matter versus all lives matter. Well, of course, all lives matter. But what is it that's happened in terms of the value of people placed on people for a group of people to declare that black lives matter? What has happened that we need to be reminded of that? God values us individually and collectively, so why do we not value each other in all our complexities and diversity? The, va the, the values that have we've been that has been used or not used has in practice served to dehumanize, disenfranchise, devalue, disregard, and invalidate the experiences of what everyday life can be for people who not only look different, but who are forced to navigate micro and macro aggressions because of it. Being inclusive church means saying all forms of oppression and inequality are interconnected and overlap. At the moment, we tend to approach sexism, classism, homophobia, etc., as mutually exclusive. I'd want to suggest that they are not mutually exclusive if we are these complex beings. 
we go ahead and move along with dividing into sections these aspects of oppression and exclusion, it's almost as though we're saying that if we divide them, they can be conquered. But I just want to suggest that being an inclusive church is to adopt an in, in, and to develop an intersectional view of each human being as a whole and created being. So somebody who is, somebody who comes into your life and who you engage with is not just a, just a woman dealing with sexism, but maybe also a woman dealing with sexism, ableism, classism. You can't really disconnect one without dealing with the other, which makes life just a little bit more complicated, but still doable if we are to address and to walk with one another as whole human beings as opposed to labelled sections. It will make, uh, make giving an understanding of what people are going through and their experiences much more clearer that being included means addressing everybody as a whole person and also how we then see our own lives and the aspects of our lives that need to be addressed as a whole. We look at people and try and see within them the face of God. God is not just one aspect. God is triune. We are not just one-faceted. We are multifaceted, and that also should be celebrated. Back to the perceptions based on certain ethnicities and our questions about the vision of heaven and how it makes you feel. I used part of that reading for a training session and we used it as a Bible study as part of the training or more of a dialogue. And the idea you've probably had used Bible study this way before where you hear the text, quiet, you sit, you reflect on it and you say the word that jumped out at you or how it makes you feel. And it was a very sacred moment, very sacred time. People were able to reflect, some people remained silent. But one woman, who was just lovely and really insightful, in that quiet, 
said out loud, I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with that. I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with that. In that moment, she was able to see the future of the multitude from every tribe and every nation and saw that in contrast to her life of privilege, of wealth, of exclusivity, of, of white privilege particularly, and honestly said out loud, I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with that. And instead of being jumped upon by everybody in the room, that small community gathered around her and she was able to express some of what it was about this that actually disturbed her. And part, most of it was, I've never lived like that. I'm supposed to live in eternity like that? I don't know what that means. I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with that. How do I get comfortable with that? How honest are you about, before God, about the thoughts and perceptions that you have around ethnicity? It is important to continually test them against God's intention for his people over and over again until we start seeing the face of God in each other. What does it mean to see the face of God in each other for you? This will take, for many of us, several reconversions. We will have our moments where we will be sitting and that sheet with all those animals will come down and we will be told to kill and eat and to our horror we're like, oh, I can't do that. Where God will declare what you have declared unclean, I have declared clean. What have you declared unclean in the secret? Of your heart. You may not use the word unclean. You may use other words, fancier words, socially acceptable words, but we use them. Dealing with centuries of misinformation as you move forward as a church on this journey towards being inclusive and that being a reality, there will be some folk who will choose not to go with you. Does that make them less holy? Does that make them less close to God? Or does just that just not make them ready to make that part of the journey? When I used to speak to my grandmother when she was alive and I would complain 
to her about my life and my friends and the and and the who's friends with who and who's not friends with who my grandmother would sit and listen on the phone because she lived in Jamaica and obviously I live here and she would listen and she would say child not everyone who comes with you will go with you not everyone who comes with you will go with you and I just thought she was just a crazy old woman as I've, come, as I've matured and lived life, I realize the value of that. That just because somebody doesn't agree with you and comes with you and you're ready to go, does not mean that that's necessarily a wrong thing. It may just mean it's the right thing for this stage of the journey. You may get to the end of your journey and find they're already there. Taken another route. Or maybe not at all, but you have to be comfortable with that. And it does not mean that you have to water down our call to justice and to mend the brokenhearted. The temptation always is to do the popular thing when it seems you're going to be out there on your own. And when things get tough, we, like the disciples, can scatter. And us, like Peter, be tempted to deny we were ever part of that in the first place. But take heart because it's a journey and you have to go through it but you also have to allow other people to go through it as well listen to people's journey and experience of how their ethnicity has impacted their life and how they navigate the world around them. The temptation is, if it hasn't been your experience, or if you don't know someone who's had that experience, is that it never happened. It can't be. I know somebody next door, and they've then that's never happened to them. Resist that temptation listen to what is shared with you open your mind and heart allow yourself to be taught and not just to teach people's ethnicity in our modern day becomes a political football and we forget that we're dealing with people's lives. Just because somebody doesn't tell you all their story 
just might mean they're not ready to tell you. My father, who's long since dead now, born in 1920, came here in 1950, would tell my friends he had never experienced racism in this country. And we would sit there, my brother, sister and I, aghast. How could this man tell such a bare-faced lie? And to him, it wasn't a lie. He was navigating a situation. The people he was talking to, he doesn't know. We knew the times when he was spat at and kicked at work, where he was asked where his tail was hidden, where the qualifications he earned at, in, in Jamaica were invalidated because they were taken in Jamaica even though they were marked here. I still don't understand that, but he experienced lots of little microaggressions. And they cut deep. And we knew how deep they cut, depended on who he told. And we, the family and family members, were the only ones who knew the real story. He would never share that with anybody else. I've been recently reading a book called The Good Immigrant. Anyone heard of that? Anyone read it? Ah, mate, you've got to read it. It is so good. Don't read it on the train or on the bus because you will laugh out loud and then people think you're crazy and remove you from the bus. But it is what is really intriguing in that is people's experiences and we're talking people who are about at least a good 20 years younger than me, experiencing some of the things that my father experienced in the 1950s. How is that possible? What have we not learned? How can you, in this community, educate yourself to make a difference so that you do not perpetuate what happened decades ago? I've been doing this kind of work with the Church of England, with the Baptist Union, and with other organizations for over 30 years, over 30 years. And it never seeks, never, I'm always amazed, always amazed. I get asked the same questions I did today in churches, that I was asked at the beginning of my career. What have we not learnt? Why are we not educating ourselves? If we are going to take this journey of being inclusive, in an inclusive church, you have to also commit to educating yourself. Jesus' ministry was three years And he didn't go out there blind. He went out there educated. He knew his scripture. He knew his law. He understood social norms and so forth. Do not go out as a community ignorant about what the issues are and what the stories are. Educate yourself. 
Don't wait for people to come to you. Because that way you can be more effective salt and light rather than playing catch up with people who haven't made the same commitment as you. Be the leader in your society. Don't get led around. Nevertheless, regardless of what's going on around us, we must remember that we are still always called. The fact that we are called to be Christians means that we are called to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Remember our questions? What is the depth of commitment that you are willing to give to stand and journey with those who are ethnically different from you? How does this vision of heaven make you feel? Loving and forgiving God, we come to you today recognising that in matters of ethnicity we have no choice. We are who we have been made to be. Before you, we rejoice at our diversity and our hearts lift at your great vision of a worshipping multitude gathered from every nation, tribe, people and language. But nonetheless, we recognise that our present reality is very far from this ideal. We have each of us been shaped by different forces. Some of us have been ground down whilst others have been built up. Some of us have been worn away or have become fractured and broken. Some of us have found life a burden rather than a joy. None of us have experienced a perfect life. Some of us have inherited power. Whilst others of us have inherited powerlessness. Some of us have been born white in a world where whiteness confers privilege. Others of us have been born black in a world where darker skin carries its advantage. We know that this is not the world as you would have it be, but it is our world and it has been our experience. None of us asked for our skin colour, none of us asked to be born the heirs of oppression, none of us asked to inherit power or powerlessness. So before you, and in the name of Jesus Christ who loves all people equally, regardless of ethnicity, gender or social status, we come now to recommit ourselves to your vision of the world. We come now to pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and to offer ourselves once again to live out your coming kingdom of equality and justice in our lives, in our church and in our communities. And so we confess our own complicity in the status quo which divides and distorts humanity. As we pray, we ask that you will release us from guilt and will help us find ways of laying down the burdens we have inherited. Help us to discover our true and rightful place within the new humanity created in Christ Jesus. All races together, we confess that we have sinned and that we have fallen short of the glory of God. We confess our failures to speak out against injustice. We confess those times when as individuals and as churches, we have witnessed the fracturing of humanity along ethnic grounds and yet have remained silent. We confess those times when we have been the powerful ones and have chosen to withhold that power whilst another human suffered. We confess the sin of racist exclusion, the abuse of power to oppress and demean, 
May those of us who have ourselves experienced exclusion be the first to speak up for others. May we create spaces for reconciliation. And so we pray for our churches. May they become places of reconciliation where each human soul is valued, where equality in Christ is a reality in our midst. Forgive us those times where we do not live out our calling as your people. May our churches model the new humanity of Christ to those in the communities where we live. We pray for our communities. Where there is division, may we bring restoration. Where there is inequality, may we bring justice. Where there is powerlessness, may we lift up the brokenhearted. Where there is damage, may we bring healing. Loving and forgiving God, hear our confession, hear the desires of our hearts to be different. Grant us your forgiveness and remake us according to the likeness of Christ. Amen.